We've been continuing this series of Psalm 23 throughout January, and uh, I'm going to be the bookend today of, of Mike's beginning in Psalm 23. So each week we've gone through and we've looked at a, a different couple of verses, right? So first, first week we, we touched on, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Then we went to, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, he restores my soul. It's a psalm that we're so familiar with, so um, just like Mike has, I want to start today with a congregational reading. If you guys would join me, it's going to be on the screen. All right, ready and let's read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy and loving kindness, sorry, will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what happens when you guys get a pastor who's three weeks in. First congregational reading. We got that out of the way. (laughs) All right, so as we've looked through each of these verses and really broken it down, um, we really want to hit on the context of Psalm 23. This week, we're going to touch on verses 5 and 6, and we're going to kind of take the same step-by-step approach that Mike has been in. And um, I think what's really important when we look at a passage like this, I heard a quote from Matt Chandler that um, Glenn shared three weeks ago in Sunday school, and it really impacted me where Matt said, it can't mean something for us that it didn't mean for them. Um, so we really want to touch on that. And I think there's a, there's a beauty in Psalm 23 in a passage that we're so familiar with. Most of us have heard many times. Some of us have it memorized. Um, there's a beauty in it in that David is really taking an analogy approach here to Scripture. And we see this sometimes um, in the Psalms. David uses this fairly often. So we want to look at both the analogy side that David's talking about in specific terms, but then we also want to look at David and say, what is David stating and meaning in this analogy? What is he deriving from these words that's coming out, um, out, of, out of it? So I'm going to take a little bit of a step-by-step approach here for a little while. So if you'll hang with me, um, I, think it'll, I think it'll really enrich your spirit. So we're going to start in verse 5. In the initial phrase, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, remember David, as a young boy, was a shepherd. This is our first introduction to David. That's the first thing he's doing. Um, Mike has, has talked about us in depth about what the life of a shepherd looks like, right? They're spending time with the sheep. This career is kind of a devoted lifestyle. They're with the sheep um, all day all night. This is their aim, their goal. This is what they do. When David says, um, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, I want to touch on a, a point that shepherds, when they were caring for their sheep, were seeking 
a, a smooth place for the sheep to walk. Um, Mike talked last week about what happens when sheep can get in some rough terrain. They can fall over and they'll be stuck for some time if someone doesn't come help them. So shepherds were constantly looking for a place that they could bring their sheep that would be safe. It would, it would be open so that they could have visibility to watch over the sheep. So when David says, you prepare a table, from like the shepherd side of this analogy, David, in some sense, and when we dig into the, the Hebrew of this, it seems that he's using the analogy of actually a plateau in a mountainous area where he can take the sheep, right, and there's rough ridges and rough terrain, get the sheep there at this plateau, there's clear visibility, um, it's easy access, there's usually some water access there, right? And this is what shepherds look for. But there's another side of this, right? And David had encountered this, and we see um, when he talked to Saul, you know, before Saul um, allowed David to go in and confront Goliath, David says... Um, I've killed the lion and the bear. And he's talking about when he was protecting his sheep, right? So David has seen both the side of finding a smooth area, but also the danger of when sheep are out in the open and you're in a plateau area, there's woods around, right? It's easy for a predator to jump out and attack the sheep. So that's what David on this shepherding side is referencing of you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, every analogy has two sides, right? So what's David saying about his, from his spirit, from his own walk with the Lord in this? What is he trying to compare this to? And this is where I want to propose some things today. I'll, I'll caution you guys that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to derive some things out of here, and I'm going to propose some ideas, just some thoughts out of curiosity, right? What could David be saying? Throughout the Psalms, we're not always sure of exactly what David is trying to express and say from his own experience. But we do have a, the, the riches of First and Second Samuel, where we can see some of the experiences of David's life and try to match those up, right? In, in the Psalms, what is David talking about? What experiences is he trying to point out here? So a couple of things, right? So David, in a long season of life, had actually been on the run from King Saul. You'll find this in 1 Samuel. He had, he had um, come up in Saul's military, right? There's the David and Goliath fight. David becomes a champion. He's widely praised. Um, he's kind of a celebrity in Israel. People are starting to like him more than Saul. They're singing his songs in the street. Um, and Saul had become jealous of David, and Saul had decided, you know what, i got to take him out. He's a threat to my reign. He's a, he's a threat to my command and my popularity. I've got to take him out. So David goes on the run. And there's so many stories. Um, I, I really enjoy digging into First and Second Samuel and reading these stories. It's, it's, really, uh, uh, it's really expressive of exactly what David was going through in this season of life um, throughout those books. And some of the things that David had encountered, um, I, I want to share one specific story where David was on the run. Saul had again and again sent people out to go get David, go kill David. And every time they could not accomplish it. Accomplish it. David was a mighty warrior. He was, uh, he was a pretty sly guy. He was pretty cunning. And, and people just couldn't get the job done. So eventually Saul said, you know what? 
I'm going to take my mighty men and I'm going to go get him. At this time, David was hiding in a cave, the Bible tells us. And when David was in this cave, Saul, without knowing, was actually camping with his men right outside the cave. No idea he was anywhere close to David. David's in the cave. He sees Saul. It's an interesting story. David actually goes down into the camp into the middle of the night, cuts off a little bit of Saul's um, outfit, his robe. So it just went and like sliced the corner off. And the next day from a distance, he says, hey, Saul, I was in your tent last night. I could have killed you and I didn't. It's an interesting story, right? But what I'm trying to say in this is that David had encountered a time where he was really surrounded by his enemies. I mean, they were right there. Saul was right so close to him. He just missed it. Um, Whether that was the Lord's protection or he just didn't have the skill to realize David would, would be hiding in that cave. We don't know. But David had found himself in a place where he was actually in the presence of his enemies. Saul was there to kill him. So I'm, I'm just um, deriving from this, right? Is this maybe what David was talking about when he said, Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. If we go on in verse 5, we see this phrase, you anoint my head with oil. Now, on the shepherd side, right, of this analogy, there's this practice that shepherds have where they would pour oil on a sheep's head. It's kind of a bizarre idea. There really were three purposes of that. Um, one, male sheep, so rams, have this dominance thing they do in, in all the different uh, lowly practices they have where they will try to establish dominance above other males by ramming and butting their heads together. So shepherds would actually <laughs> grease their heads so that when that collision happened, um, the force, there'd be a little less of a blow, right? There maybe would be a brush off if there was a grease and an oil, which is kind of an interesting thing. And it would protect more of the sheep. Now, in modern farming, they have found, hey, it's actually a good idea to just separate the sheep, which makes more sense now. But that's what, that was a common practice in those days, that they would just oil and grease. They didn't have so much infrastructure to use. The other side of that is... Um, they would actually mix oils with some uh, spices and some smells. So if you're into essential oils, I'm glad to tell you there's actually a legitimate use for them um, on sheep heads. Because it would... <laughs> I'm not knocking essential oils. We have them at home. I enjoy them, I'll be honest. Um, but they would put these on the sheep's head and it would keep some of the flies awake, some of the annoyances away. Uh, right? And, and there is a spiritual element of that that we could go into, and I'm not going to explore today. But um, it's really, it was a covering of the nuance of the flies to keep the, the sheep in peace. The other one, in, in the same instance, right, was there was some disease that the oil would help protect from on a sheep's head. So it was really a part of care for the sheep was this covering of oil. Now, I want to touch then on the other side of this analogy of what David might have been saying and referring to when he said, Lord, you anoint my head with oil. So I have two main things that I discovered in studying for this week that I want to point out to you guys. So first, Jews had this practice where at a banquet or a party, if there was an esteemed guest, right? So let's say um, 
Alan Ward. If he came to my party, this guy would be an, ex, an esteemed guest. So if we were Jews and Alan walked in the door as the host, I may go and anoint his head with oil. Alan, I won't do this to you if you come over. Um, but they would actually anoint the esteemed guest's head with oil to honor them. And I think, you know, when we talk about the beginning of this verse of, of David saying, Lord, you prepare a table before me. Perhaps David here is imagining a banquet. He's being invited into um, by the Lord and, and imagining, dare I say, he sees God bringing him in as an esteemed guest at his table, at, at his table in his house and saying, Lord, you anoint my head with oil. In the same vein, there's, there's a possible um, other path David could have been talking about here. And what that would be is, is that the priests in the Jewish order and those, the, the priests of the tribe of Levi, um, early in life and throughout their life, would be anointed with a holy oil. And this just, this just set them apart as a sign of holiness for their entrance into the presence in the house of the Lord. And we're going to touch on David's relationship with that a little bit here in a minute. But I just want to point out perhaps David here is saying, Lord, you've anointed me to enter your presence, to be in your house. You've set me apart as holy. So that might be what he's saying here. We're, again, we're not sure exactly what David's getting at, but, but those are some possible things we can draw from the idea of David saying, you anoint my head with oil. Continuing on, um, the next phrase, uh, this might be my favorite phrase of, the, of this chapter. David says, my cup overflows. Now, I don't know if this is right, but here's what I imagine here. is like David suddenly at this point in, in writing this, he's kind of leaving behind or just being done with the shepherd and sheep analogy. And he is just... Um, emphatically saying the feeling he's having in this moment, my cup overflows, right? This is like if I were telling you a story, right? And uh, last night, Olivia and I went out on a date. We had an awesome dinner. And, uh, and it'd be like if I were telling you and, and I were describing what exactly happened and how the restaurant was and all that. And I stopped and said, by the way, the food was awesome. The cheesecake was amazing. That's what I imagine David is saying here, right? He's pausing to say, man, out of all of this that we've said, that I've written here of um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me lie down in green pastures, right? He's describing this shepherding interaction with the Lord. And it's like he pauses to say, my cup overflows. My cup overflows I think what he's saying here is he's really expressing the overwhelming delight and blessing that he's experienced in the goodness of God in this reality, in this interaction with the Lord as his shepherd. So that's verse 5, right? Verse 6, and this is where I think um, so much in the summation of this chapter, this is where like the landing point is for David. This is where some of the meat is pulled out out of all of this analogy. David says, surely goodness and mercy or loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. David's saying, surely this reality that I'm talking about, 
of the goodness of God and his loving kindness and his mercy, this isn't going to end for me. I get to experience this all of my life. That word goodness, when he says surely goodness and loving kindness or mercy, that word goodness, the first time we see it occur in scripture actually, is at the very beginning in Genesis 1. When God looks at each day of his creation and says, it's good. It's good. Day one, created light. It's good, right? And the days on and on and on. David uses that word to say, goodness and loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life. That's the, that's the depth of what David is saying here. David has experienced the mercy and loving kindness of God in his life. Mike's talked about some of those in the last three weeks, right? Of some of the experiences David had of sin and brokenness and where he had experienced the mercy of the Lord in a real tangible way, right? David, David understood this, of the mercy and goodness of God. And he's saying, surely this will follow me all the days of my life. Then he goes on in verse 6 and he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You guys see, David was obsessed throughout his life with the concept of the house of the Lord. We even see times when David probably oversteps the boundaries that God set out in Exodus for the access to the house of the Lord, right? Calling for the ephod that was designed for the priests to worship the Lord and dance before him. David had this obsession with the house of the Lord, and we see it throughout the stories of his life and also throughout the Psalms. Psalms 26, verse 8, David says, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Psalms 27, verses 4 and 5, he says, One thing I've asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up upon a rock. In verse 51, um, David, I'm sorry, in chapter 51 of Psalms, David um, is expressing an apology to the Lord, it seems, uh, a psalm and a song of regret to the Lord and a plea to the Lord after his sin and his adultery with Bathsheba. And what he says in there, and this really touches on the house of the Lord idea for David, was, cast me not away from your presence, Lord. Father, in all of this, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. See, David had a zeal for God's house. He desired to be in his presence. So as we look at 23, right, so that, that gets us through those verses looking at, you know, what is David saying? What's he referring to in this? I want to touch on a couple of things that David really might have intended in Psalm 23. I think there are three um, really like sequential, you would call them watchword or primary understandings of this verse. Um, number, number one, David is declaring his, his intention with this landing spot of saying, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's maybe is declaring his intention of, Lord, I will dwell in your house forever. Just like he said in Psalm 27, 
one thing I've asked of the Lord. This I will seek, that I could be in your house forever. So perhaps he's just declaring and saying, right? Um, I will dwell in your house, right? Lord, I will dwell in your house forever. This is where I want to be. A second possible and sort of sequential uh, approach David might have had in saying this was a longing for an eternal reality of being in the house of the Lord. Perhaps it was coming from an eternal understanding of, of what was going to happen once life was over, entering into heaven and, and being in the Lord's presence forever. And perhaps David is saying out of that with a longing, Lord, I will dwell in your house forever, for eternity. Uh, the third, third possibility here, right, is that David is staying, stating this reality in a form of celebration of either the present or eternal reward of, Lord, I'm going to dwell in your house forever, right? Is, that could be his landing point here. Whatever that is, whatever that may be, what I want to do is take this and take David's lineage of this phrase of, I will dwell in the Lord's house forever, and David's zeal for that. And I want to take it on to, to something that Jesus said. And in the garden, before Jesus was arrested, so he had just had his last supper with his um, disciples, just like we celebrated and partook in today in communion. Um, Jesus prayed to the Father. And he had a few things that he prayed for, right? So first he prayed um, between himself and the Father. Then he took some verses and, and he prayed for his disciples. And this is a really rich thing that we see take place uh, of a demonstration of what prayer before the Lord took li- looked like for um, Jesus to God. And so in John 17 and verse 24, um, this was Jesus' prayer when he eventually got to praying for us, all believers. And he, and he prayed this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me, Because you love me before the foundation of the world. And what Jesus is praying here to the Father is so much like what David was longing for when he said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is saying, Father, I desire that they would be with me. I desire that they could live in my house forever. This was his prayer right before going to the cross and his blood being spilled and his body broken for us. Jesus prayed for us. Father, I desire that they would be with me. So as we land here with Psalm 23 and and as we close... I want to really point something out. It's a a hard reality with Psalm 23. We walk through life and all of us have different ways that we've encountered this passage. Of David talking through as a shepherd. Seeing God as his shepherd saying, You are my shepherd, Lord. I shall not want. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside the quiet waters, right? And we... We see these experiences David is talking about. And they're so soothing to our hearts, right? Many of us have encountered them. 
in hospitals, in a dark hour, in a time of pain. Man, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's with me. At funerals, we encounter this, right? It's a common chapter to be read at funerals of, man, the Lord is with us, we shall not want. There are times in the lowest days, in the darkest times, whether it's in in counseling or with a friend, this will be brought up. Um, Many of us teach it to our children at a young age of of, uh, something to quote during the night. I know I had it on the... On the wallpaper border of my bedroom growing up, this is a Psalm 23. It's a, it's a psalm of comfort. But what I want to really point out this morning is, yes, this psalm does so much to comfort us. But what does it mean for us if we're not walking with the shepherd? If we're not a part of the sheepfold. If we're not one who's with the Lord as our shepherd. If we're not finding ourselves in the Lord's presence. If we're not encountering Him both on the hard times, but also on the good days. When we're just at the quiet waters with the Lord. And I've been thinking this week, what is my quiet water rhythm with the Lord? Where is it that I'm spending that time? I get the darkest valley, walking through the darkest valley. I got that one down. When I'm in a dark valley, man, I go to the Lord. But man, as people of his fold, of his sheep, do we spend every day with him? Do we walk with him? Are we under his, the shadow of his wing? In the good days, in the dark days. My question for us today, are we his shepherd? I'm sorry, are we his sheep? Is he our shepherd? Is he the shepherd we surrender to or have we surrendered to the care of another? Have we surrendered our our care to our finances? Have we surrendered it to our family? Have we surrendered it to our career? Right? What is it that really cares for us all the time. Most of us have had those encounters of running to the Lord in a dark hour. But in the constant, when the dark time comes, man, are we under the shadow of his wing? Are we with him? So that's my question for us today. And and as we close, I just want to take a moment to really consider, Lord, have I given myself to you as your sheep? Maybe you're here today and you haven't had that initial um, yes to the Lord. You haven't received him into your heart. You haven't been born again as Jesus described to Nicodemus of the spirit. Man, if you're, if you're here in this place and you haven't said, Lord, I give myself to you. I, I recognize my sins I recognize my brokenness. And Lord, I need you as a savior. Lord, would you come and live in me? And if you haven't prayed that prayer today, I encourage you, do so. Touch base with someone after and and start a journey of growth. That's that's step one of, of being a sheep in the fold of Jesus. But secondly, maybe you've said yes, but you're a wayward sheep. You're... You're finding yourself in that, in that plateau, that clean area, and you're the one who's constantly wanting to roam off, right? And 
you know what I mean, right? When, when you find yourself, man, there was a day that I was really surrendered to the Lord, that I was connecting with him, that I was in his fold and constantly spending time with him. But I've strayed. Man, Jesus is inviting you. Come home today. Come home. And you can experience that reality that David's describing here. Of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All the way through to I'm going to dwell in his house forever. Amen? That's the invitation. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, even as described in our mission focus today, Father, we just thank you that we can digest your word, that we can let it be planted as a seed in our heart and it'll grow. Father, I just ask that today you'd be um, doing that work inside of us. Lord, would each of us hearing the sound of my voice find ourselves closer to the shepherd today? Lord, I ask that as we walk through life in the, the highs and the lows, the mountaintops and valleys, Lord, would we constantly find ourselves walking with you at your pace, daily at your feet. Lord, out of that, would we discover the abundance that David experienced and desired when he, say, when he said, I will dwell in your house forever. Father, as we leave here, Lord, would you um, be the strength in our heart. Lord, would your mercy and grace walk with us. Father, I ask that as we leave these four walls, would we, we be a light into the world and a light to our community. Father, bless us as we go and bless our congregation. In your name we pray. Amen.